politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen yearning to fight for what matters, life, liberty, property, and all of it here at CR Podcast. Blaze Media, it is Wednesday, January 18th, and we are back here full swing. Daniel Horowitz and folks, we were right in the thick of it yesterday. It's amazing. Random day we talk about West Virginia and how it's a deep red state that has a horrible governor and they have mask fascism, even uh, contemplating making people wear yellow stars to know that they're not jabbed and have to wear a mask in a Huntington hospital. And literally two things happen right as I'm getting off the air yesterday. Number one, the jerky governor, Jim Justice, announces after having four or five shots, he gets yet another round of COVID. And then, as I was talking about the fact that in all 50 states, all the red states, we still have this problem of the most illogical, inhumane, illegal policy masking a human being is still going on in hospitals everywhere. DeSantis in Florida holds a press conference that says... He's going to go after hospitals for doing this, make all bans on all public, private mask and vaccine mandates permanent in the legislature and gets up there like a boss, talks about the science, how the shots are making it even worse, spreading it even more. And I'm thinking the gap between him and every other Republican, every other red state is 100 times greater than the gap between those so-called Republican red staters and California, and New York. And you look, at the, you look at this dichotomy and you think, it doesn't have to be this way. You look at the gulf between what a red state is, an anti-abortion, pro-gun version of California, essentially, versus what it can be. And you look and ponder and understand decades worth of, of misfiring and lack of focus from the fake conservative movement and the fake conservative talkers focusing on the wrong issues, wrong elections, wrong strategies. We could have been focused on governors. Instead, we weren't, and we just have one. That's where all the difference is, I'm telling you. So without a governor, it's an uphill battle to fight in the legislatures, but that's the best we can do. But we are going to start working on these governor's races. But... uh Folks, this is where it matters. I'm telling you. It's going to require pressure and lighting a fire under an issue. It won't happen on its own. It's funny. Governor DeSantis kept saying that. This didn't happen on its own. And he's kind of humble about it, but it he means it's only because he's governor. It doesn't happen on its own. You see how easy it is to do it, but yet it's not done. And that's why with ConAction.network, if you sign up for one of our Liberty Strike Force teams, this is what we need to do. And I want to elaborate on this today. And then later we're going to get to, uh, again, going around the map. Yesterday we talked about West Virginia. Today we're going to talk about Texas. Why is Texas not really red with uh, the state party chairman coming up soon? First, our sponsor today, folks, um, one thing is certain at this point. I mean, we're going to fight on the debt ceiling issue, but the debt and inflation are going to continue. Both public debt and private debt are soaring. And in fact, credit is is getting even is expanding even more with the private debt, which is literally one of the definitions of inflation. 
Gold has always been a hedge against inflation for thousands of years. It's It has withstood geopolitical turmoil, stock market crashes. And here's the great news. You can still get it. <laughs> okay, with all the shortages, you could still get it. Uh, one of the things that I plan on doing, a couple weeks I'm going to do my taxes, and I usually owe a few thousand dollars. You're able to put in about $6,000 for yourself, for your wife, into an IRA or a 401k rather than putting that money into you know the federal coffers. So rather than putting it into BlackRock and Vanguard, which I used to do, I had everything in Vanguard, I text the word Daniel to 989898 to Birch Gold and get their free info kit on how to convert your IRA, IRA or 401k into precious metals IRAs uh, so it's literally an investment account, a nest egg that's actually worth something. They have an A-plus rating from the Better Business Bureau, thousands of happy customers, and countless five-star ratings. Uh, secure your future with gold today, starting with their free info kit. I just got their newest version. makes it very clear for those who aren't familiar with how to do this. There's zero obligation. Just make the request, and you, you could decide yourself by texting Daniel to 989898. So, folks, again, we have this jerky governor in West Virginia announcing he has COVID again. And you know what? I actually don't wish him to get better. I'm sorry. I'll go there. Because this jerk, the last time he had COVID, and he's going to keep getting it because of the shots, he got up there, and he, he had a pretty tough case of it. And he got up there and said, oh, I'm thankful that I wouldn't be alive without the shots. When in fact, he got the monoclonal antibodies. And that very week, he decided to end it after utilizing it himself. What a jerk. Unbelievable Orwellian. I am telling you, in West Virginia, with a 31 to 3 and 88 to 12 majority in both houses, you had worse COVID policies than in my state of Maryland. He is a bigger supporter of the Pfizer genocide than Joe Biden. And that's a fact because he criticized Biden for slipping up and suggesting last September that the emergency was over. Why do we have that? Why do we pretty much have this in every state, including Texas, like we're going to talk about today? So there is a seminal Substack article written today and I want to read it, and I want to give a shout-out to Margaret Meng, M-E-N-G-E. She has a substack called Crossroads Report. And she seems to be an Indiana activist and reports on what's going on in the legislature. She actually broke the news, if you remember. We, we talked about her before on the Indiana life insurance companies with their data showing the catastrophic uh increases in sudden deaths among the middle-aged uh, life insurance holders, of course, coinciding with the take-up of the vaccine. So she has a title out. She attended this uh, one of the first hearings, meetings of the House Health Care Committee, the Public Health Committee of the Indiana House. And again, they have like three-to-one, four-to-one majorities in one house. They have three-to-one, four-to-one in the other. I forget which one. Massive Republican majorities. Yet this has been one of the worst fake red states around. And her title is Citizens AWOL at Indiana Legislature's First Public Health Committee Hearing of the Year. And, and, and her article literally is like my national anthem. This is what I've been screaming about the last several years. This is what I'm trying to accomplish 
by creating these Liberty Strike Force teams to get active and to try to motivate you rather than just lament, as I often do, how screwed we are, to actually do something constructive and make a difference. Because the difference between when you actually get on the map and pressure and create a firestorm for an issue versus, hey, we got Republicans, let's focus on the Democrats, Joe Biden, is enormous. And she said she got back from this hearing. The room was overflowing with representatives of the healthcare industry. Among them were Brian Tabor of the Indiana Hospital Association, Andrew Berger with the Indiana Manufacturers Association, and representatives of Indiana's chapter of the American Academy of Pediatrics. There didn't appear to be any citizen activists in the room, or if there were, they didn't testify in any of the four bills the committee was hearing. I'm kind of shocked. This was a great opportunity to be heard and to insist on some accountability for the disastrous vaccine rollout that has killed how many? 50,000 at least nationwide and probably close to 10 times that. She's right, it is close to 10 times that. Um, are people content to just keep sharing information on Twitter and Facebook and listening to more interviews of Dr. Peter McCullough and RFK Jr.? Don't you have enough information at this point? Very beautifully said. Isn't it time to act? And this is the point I've been saying. You're never going to get more information than we have already. You've got to show up. You've got to name heroes, name zeros. You've got to push the best legislation. I have given you guys a blueprint. You can look it up. Conservative Review, Daniel Horowitz, reconstituting the America we loved in the red states, medical freedom. Just put in those words. You'll see I have dozens of medical freedom ideas. Go to your best legislatures, set it up, join one of our teams, offer to be a leader, and then put out information, go to the hearings, put out newsletters on it, get in their faces in a respectful way, name the heroes, shame the zeros. I can't blame them for not acting. So she says I was able to catch up with our State Health Commissioner, Dr. Christina Box, as she exited the room after testifying on a bill. The Indiana Department of Health is seeking a $120 million budget increase in 2024 and $227 million increase in 2025. Mind, mind you, folks, that is on top of the record funding they have. What are they going to use with that money to help with vaccine injured, to help with treatment for that, to help for, with medical freedom, to help research various uses for off-label drugs like cancer? No, it's going to be used for medical tyranny and the vaccine industry. And uh, there you go. So she noticed it was interesting. I was able to talk briefly with the chairman of the committee, Representative Brad Barrett, who is a physician. I called his office last week and asked if the committee was going to look at VAERS injuries from the vaccines to you know, conduct some oversight. His staffer took down the message, but Barrett never called back, so I approached him. I briefly highlighted the VAERS data for Indiana, including the 165 reports of death. His response was, I'm just sorting through a lot of bills that are filed. I'm not aware personally of anyone that's got language filed from what I've seen. He went on to say that he and the Public Health Committee are just working on bills that have been filed. I asked him if he was aware of the reports in VAERS. Oh yeah, absolutely, he responded. I mentioned the huge number of reports of deaths and injuries and said it seems it's been hidden and that it's not been reported in the media. Oh, I know. I've seen a lot of the media about that. Um, 
And, and basically, that's like, oh, yeah, I've seen something in the media about that. And that's what it is. So, folks, this is an unbelievable report. Not in the fact that it's so revealing, but in the fact that it, it, it or is unique about Indiana. But this is the problem everywhere. State legislatures are high risk, high return, meaning because there's much less focus on them, if you would get together, there's high return. You could really create a firestorm. But if you don't, then it's the opposite. It's the, the lobbyists basically control it all. And that's what they hear from. You got to start driving calls, getting there in person. If you have time on your hands, um, again, we have teams up in North Dakota, in Iowa, in South Carolina, in West Virginia, and we're looking to create many more. If you're willing to be a team leader and are familiar with the legislature, contact me, and I will send you the names of 40, 50, 100 people who have signed up, or if you just want to commit to not leading the team, but doing one of these activities, what will a team do? Go to hearings, get in their faces, advocate on behalf or promote good legislation with the good guys to get them to introduce it and help promote it, uh, take down bad legislation, get on social media, help put out newsletters for your group and create email lists. I'm telling you, a small group of, of 20 people could do a tremendous amount, 20, 30, 40 you could do a tremendous amount, and we're already seeing that. The difference between when our people are engaged and when they're not. By the way, folks, speaking of the healthcare issue, once again, today's show is sponsored by Jace Medical. I just got my Jace case in the mail because I went to jacemedical.com and used the offer code REVIEW10 to get $10 off your order of a pack of five different courses of antibiotics. Yes, in the past, I'd say that's crazy. You just get a prescription. If you have a UTI, you have a respiratory infection, sinusitis, get your Augmentin, get your doxycycline, your you know amoxicillin. It should be cheap. But now there's a shortage. There's a shortage because we've allowed the medical cartel working with big medical, big government, big China to create this artificial shortage the Jace case is a great way to be prepared for anything from natural disasters to travel and even a global pandemic. Um, and so basically you sign up, jacemedical.com, just like with what we did with Seven Cells, you do have to get a prescription, so you fill out some information about yourself, so that way they could write a prescri prescription and they send it to you in the mail, and you have five courses, five types of antibiotics on hand for when you need them, go to jacemedical.com. Use offer code REVIEW10 for $10 off at checkout. Time to take the medical health of your self and your family in your own hands. That's what we need to do. Take it in our own hands. You know, the, the lesson is you need a firestorm to make a difference. And we have nobody to make that firestorm but ourselves. It's not going to happen on your own on its own. In Florida, we have a governor who's willing to do it. No other state do we do we have a governor. So you have to be willing to get in the faces of every elected official, including the governor, but the legislators in particular in your state. Now is the session. Now is the time. And this is the problem. The firestorm firestorms are usually created from stories, inflection po points. You have a new story. And unfortunately, the problem is two-thirds of the year, and in some states, a year and a half, 
they're not in session. So if you have a firestorm moment that could ignite a legislative change, well, whoops, they're not in session. I think that's stupid and that needs to change. But for now, most states are, and that's where we need to act. Let me say this. Before we get to talking about Texas, I think a perfect example of this is the transgender stuff. There's nothing new about the issue. This stuff has been going on in earnest for almost a decade, all of it. The bathrooms, the the castration, the drag shows, the, the, the drag hour story. I mean, it's been going on for a long time. The red states did absolutely nothing about it. And there were always people yelping about it. And there were always those handful of good members every year. I know who they are in each state that would introduce a bill and it wouldn't go anywhere. It wasn't until you had people like Libs of TikTok and others producing these videos and creating a firestorm over it. Now you see the difference with this legislative session. Legitimately, even in a lot of the states that, unfortunately, they're not really rolling with our medical freedom agenda. And that's a problem. But they are, they are pushing this. They are doing a good job with the training issues. And I think in a lot of states, I was just speaking with a friend of mine in Tennessee, it says pretty likely they will pass a full ban on drag shows for minors and castration and things, things like that. But that was because we created a firestorm. You need a piece of legislation, create a firestorm around it, stories and data and information about what's going on in the state, and a group that's committed to working the media on the legislative angle, the policy angle to make it happen. The left has this. The left has this on every issue, every every sub-issue. We need to create it. So this report in Indiana is exactly what I'm trying to fix. That dichotomy between what's going on in a state like Indiana, a state like West Virginia versus Florida. And again, not that we have a great legislature, necessarily more activism there. There it's due to the fact that we have a governor. But that's also something we really need to consider. Governorships. Just in a few months, we're going to have primaries in three red states. Mississippi, Kentucky, Louisiana. I don't know if we're going to have necessarily good candidates there. But this is the problem that we haven't worked on it. This is really the force multiplier is the governor. That is the single most important thing. If we would have had a movement putting all of our effort rather than in the stupid congressional stuff, and I was involved in all those primaries, but gubernatorial primaries, we would be a different, totally different country. So you got, you know, in terms of states where where we reliably or have a good chance or exclusive chance of electing a Republican in a general election. So you got all three this year, Kentucky, Mississippi, and Louisiana. And then you have coming up for next cycle, you got Indiana, you got Missouri, um, you got New Hampshire, which, you know, is a swing state. You got North Carolina, North Dakota, Utah, and West Virginia. Those are all states where everyone would agree with me. I know, you know, certain ones people would disagree. There's other states up, but those ones for sure, some are open, some are incumbent rhinos running for re-election, or a Democrat, you know, making it an open seat for Republicans. They all need severe change. So that's where it's at. 
You look at the dichotomy with Florida. Imagine if we would have been doing this for years. Imagine if we would have 10, 12 others. Remember, DeSantis keeps pushing that Overton window, but he has to do it all by himself. Imagine if you have 12 more doing doing it. There's no doubt he would do this stuff even quicker and more hardcore. And that's what this show is all about. Every day I'm like a snowplow, plowing new ground, plowing, pushing that Overton window over, trying to move it over. And the best way, look, I have a bunch of ideas on that list, but I want you guys all to take notes now. And if there's one thing I think that you can do now, the most important thing for us to push, based on what is coming down, how, how severely consequential it is to our health, our life, our liberty in its most literal sense, this is the ultimate immunization against tyranny. We need a constitutional amendment passed out by every red state legislature to be placed on the ballot where the people vote. So it's not just a technical change to law, but it creates a campaign on the actual principle of the matter. We need a constitutional amendment. Are you, are you ready to write? I'll say it slowly. Here's the language. They could tweak it if they want. I didn't like work on every last word, but the rough idea, you need to make sure There is at least one member of your House or of your Senate, especially if you're in a red state trifecta, that is willing, that has introduced, or if they haven't, they're willing to introduce the following language into the state's constitution in its Bill of Rights. Usually there's a Declaration of Rights in one of the articles, often the first article, but not always. The right of a person to refuse any medical procedure, treatment, injection, device, vaccine, or prophylactic shall not be questioned or interfered with in any manner. Equality of rights under the law or in the realm of public accommodation shall not be denied or abridged to any person in this state because of the exercise of the right under this section. So write that down and make sure you have someone introducing that language in your house and Senate as much as you could pressure the governor and attorney general to get behind that, the better. This is what we need in every state. Now, before we get to Texas, just one other bill I want to promote, and there's a lot I could talk about. SB 129 in Oklahoma um, I think, uh, Don, I apologize I'm for getting his name, but he's from Durant, Oklahoma, one of the few good guys in the Senate, SB 129. It bans chemical castration under the age of 26. And I like that bill. To me, this is the most expansive one I've found in the country. Could be there are others, but just what I've found. You know, because think about it. Let's say a doctor, could someone come in and say, you know, without a case of diabetes, with gangrene and need for amputation, I want to cut off my arm. Like, let's say a doctor, like, yeah, yeah, I, you know, I, I identify as a, as a duck today. I want to cut off my arms, or a shark, or a whale. W- would we tolerate that and allow that? Well, cutting off someone's penis or balls or breasts, and and I I only get graphic because we become too desensitized to what this is because of all the euphemisms given. That's a hundred times more systemic. How how is that okay any age? 
So to me, I'll take the, I mean, it should be even for adults, but it's under 26. And also the bill makes it clear that it's not eligible for Medicaid. Why should we be covering that? So SB 129. But let's get to our special guest today. So, folks, when we're discussing this dichotomy between Florida and every other red state, you know, we talk a lot about these smaller states, West Virginia, Idaho, North Dakota, South Dakota, Wyoming. I mean, all these states where you barely have Democrats even registered uh, on the map in the legislature, you have these supermajority trifectas forever. You can do whatever you want. They should be your version of California Yet they're more like their version of California, minus really the gun and abortion issue. That that's kind of what we've been summarizing for many years. And a lot of times you can say, well, you know, like we just said today, and I think it's legitimate, there are very few people focusing on the on, on the issues. So you only have the lobbyists, the healthcare cartel, the chamber of commerce in the room there. But the problem is you go to a state like Texas. And you would expect that to be our bright spot. That would be our California. It's the biggest red state. You know, rather than talking about Florida, or at least in addition, we'd be talking about Texas, where there are a lot of good activist groups. There's been a lot of focus on primaries for a long time. There's been a lot of focus on the state legislature, more so I see in Texas than than some of these smaller red states. Yet, I mean, it's been so elusive. It's it's just you still have the emergency declaration there. Um, we can't, we have barely passed any, we have not passed anything good on medical freedom. Um, you know, slowly but surely, maybe we'll get stuff on the tranny issue, but we're getting that in other states. And why is it so slow? Why is it so elusive? And you look at the federal level, you got Chip Roy, okay, you got Ted Cruz, but then, uh, you know, you got the others that uh, are reflective of, of the Republicans we see in the Mitch McConnell orbit. And then at a state level, you know, in many other states, at least in the state house, the lower house, where the districts are smaller, takes less money, we definitely are seeing an improvement, a larger percentage of better Republicans that reflect the values of the Republican voters rather than the lobbyists and the industries. But yet in Texas, that's not the case. So I figured we'd go to the man at the top, the chairman of the Republican Party itself in Texas, Matt Rinaldi. I can't believe we never have had him on before, but it's better late than ever. Hey, Matt, thanks so much for joining us for the first time today. Thanks for having me on. Big fan. So, I mean, look, I, I could not have dreamt of a better chairman of a state party than yourself. You have a, a, a great uh, activism base. You're you're annual convention is awesome. They all sound like me and like the people in the audience. You seem to have a good state party. Um, I'm just going to get straight to it. Why do Texas Republicans suck? I mean, how do you have a scenario where you have a uh, speaker of the house, Dade Phelan, who makes Mitch McConnell and Kevin McCarthy look like Barry Goldwater. And, and there were only three no votes against him. What's up with that? Yeah. I I mean, even sadder was in the caucus vote where there was a blind ballot, right? It was a secret ballot. He only had six votes against it. Mm. So you could have voted against it with no repercussions. We still only had six. That was even worse. But what, what you see, I think, happening in Texas is what you see happening elsewhere. And, and you pointed to the fact Republicans like North Dakota 
South Dakota, where we have like one or two Democrats in the whole state, Republicans fall into the more general culture, right? And they're swayed by the Chamber of Commerce and by corporations in their state, and, and they, they don't stand up to them. And you see that in Texas. You see almost three political parties forming, right? You have the Democrats, you have the, the corporate traditional establishment Republicans, and you have the conservatives. And the way it played out in Texas right now, you have conservatives control the Senate because Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick has been very good in passing medical freedom and all the legislative priorities of the, the Texas Republican Party. And then you have a small group of conservatives in the House pushing against leadership, who tends to be a more traditional Republican, and uh, Governor Abbott, who in a weak, in a, it's a weak governor state. Uh, if you choose to be, you know, more a more uh, uh, hands off governor and, and uh, that, that's the way it's played out. So Greg Abbott will sign anything uh, conservative that comes out of those two houses, but doesn't really lean on them that much. And that's what you have. You have a whole lot of nothing happening while this huge culture war is engulfing the country and we have a, a, a chance to lose it. A whole lot of nothing happening while the culture wars engulfing the country. I mean, that's that's the problem in all these states. So if if I gather what you're saying, something interesting, most states, almost all of them, with few exceptions, the House is better than the Senate because typically it takes requires less money to to get elected. Um, but you're saying that in Texas it bucks the trend, it's because of leadership. And because there's no leadership from the top, I mean, you don't have a DeSantis as governor, and then the speaker is is you know not a conservative, so that's how powerful the desire to follow leadership is. That it will buck that kind of political scientific trend, where you'll have a lower house being more elite than the upper house. Exactly. I mean, you see in Florida with Ron DeSantis as governor. I mean, I was in the state legislature in Texas for four years uh, till 2019. So I met some Florida legislators and I'm meeting guys who, you know, would be a more establishment Republican under a traditional governor. And under Ron DeSantis, you know, they're following Ron DeSantis and, and producing conservative results. Uh, so leadership's important. And you see that in Texas also. The Texas Senate, under Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick's leadership, uh, are, we come up with legislative priorities for our state party that come from the grassroots, um, and they're bold usually, and they're, they're good legislative priorities. Uh, they pa- the Texas Senate passed every single one of our legislative priorities from last, uh, last biennium in the previous three bienniums. So they were willing to fight on these issues. And when I was in the House, uh, we had formed a small freedom caucus of 11 people. And together, that minority in the House willing to challenge the speaker, together with that leadership in the Texas Senate, produced some pretty bold results on bills like sanctuary city ban, where we took a, a, a yes. show bill and turned it into something with teeth. Uh, we did it on a bunch of other issues as well, pro-life issues. We forced a special session. That was a great pro-life victory. Um, and that's what you need. You need a small group of people willing to push against the cartel. So let me ask you this, and this is something that's really troubling me. In a lot of states, I'm seeing progress. Uh, we had Andy Roth on the show last week, and he said something very interesting, that he doesn't even have enough members in the Texas House to make a Freedom Caucus. And my question is, I, I know, and I have a lot of friends in Texas 
there's really been a focus on legislative primaries for longer than than many other states. I mean, since really the 2010 elections, how is it that we've it seems like we've gone backwards? And we, we, we have a little bit for two reasons. One is internal and one has to do with primary elections, like you, like you point out. The, 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 the internal reason is in 2017, I think you reached the pinnacle with a, a freedom, House Freedom Caucus forming in the House. You had Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick working with us in the House Freedom Caucus, and the House Freedom Caucus willing to push against the Speaker. Uh, and strategically, uh, we worked perfectly in that session. And actually, forced the speaker out. He, he, he quit after that session. He just didn't want to deal with it anymore. Um, the new speaker, Dennis Bonin, uh, was smarter than the old speaker in that he gave everybody in the House something to lose. So whereas the speaker, uh, Strauss, would punish you if you didn't support it. No, no good committees, uh, no bills. Uh, Bonin would give you bills and committees because he would take them away if you did something against him had everyone thinking twice, changed the strategy, and really thinned the ranks of mm. people willing to challenge leadership. And you still see that now um, to an extent uh, with new people coming in who are willing to challenge them. The second's in the primaries, and this is very interesting. Um, when over the past decade, we were trying to oust more liberal Republicans, um, and I was one of them. I ousted uh, an incumbent when I went into the state legislature. Um, we were winning in urban areas that were purple, but we were conservatives were losing in areas that were like 90 percent Republican wow. in, in the rural areas. So we got to a point where we saturated all of these urban areas with conservatives <laughs> because we won every primary there. And in the and in the rural areas where school districts were more powerful. Um, you saw more milk toast, squishy Republicans winning. So when 2018 came around and we got pummeled by Democrats in the suburbs, that took out all of our primary wins. Oh, so you had the, vault, the suburb it, area. It, you you had an inverted pyramid where you had your best guys on the chessboard in the most vulnerable positions, you know, in the general election. And that's a whole nother story yeah. how we're losing that and want to get into that. But but why? I'm not understanding exactly why. The more the the redder areas, um, you know, would would take kindly to those Republicans that were fine with the tranny agenda and things like that. Well, I, I think it has a lot to do with confusion during a, a primary. If you have enough money, you can confuse people enough. Um, and the teachers' unions are extremely powerful in an area like go to East Texas, right, and go off the highway. You know, drive, drive a few miles, then figure out whatever town you're in, right? Find the nearest school. The school will be the most majestic building you see within huh. like 60 miles, right? So that area, you know, is controlled by its school district. How many people are employed by the school district? And then you get to the point where how many people are actually on school boards in some of these rural districts where you have like, you know, 100 school districts or, or 50 school districts? How many of your constituents are actually on school boards or on city council? It's a wow. huge amount. Um, so the establishment actually is more powerful in these rural areas, and we can never break that in primaries. It came close, but could never break it in those rural areas. So I'm going to ask you a very important I, – I mean, to me, I know this would take a law change, and it's hard, but our founders, for precisely this reason – 
they they understood that the political spectrum is a circle. It's not a straight line. So if mm-hmm. you have an oligarchy, you know they control. But if you have pure direct democracy, you get the oligarchy too because the elites manipulate it um, and have all the money and lie and and they they'll say anything. And I mean, as someone who has been involved more in federal primaries, this is always the problem. They never run on what they tell the lobbyists or the media privately. They run on our issues and they have more money to run on our issues, so they have more name ID. And especially you know when you have a Democrat in the White House. So it's always like, yeah, Biden, Biden this, Biden that. So, you know, you're like, oh yeah, I want that guy. And you get the same oligarchy and that's why they wanted it funneled through representative democracy. Now, obviously, you know, party party politics is not in the constitution, but we have a party system. So if you're going to replicate our primaries in a way that, you know, really the election should be, I've always felt that history has shown this in Utah before it was gutted that the only way we're ever going to level the playing field to elect a critical mass of conservatives in one or two election cycles is to do away with popular primaries and have some sort of filtered caucus or convention representative democracy system where, you know, I have this all the time. People in my neighborhood, it's a blue area, so it doesn't matter. But, but you know, they're like, look, I want the best conservative. I don't know who these guys are. I mean, maybe for president people know, but you get to Congress and then forget about a county and state legislator. You have a solid red district. Ten people run for it. You have an open seat. And, you know, everyone wants it. Everyone's more conservative than the next on paper. No one knows who they are. This is a type of thing that the activists at a convention would be able to sort out, and it makes all that lobbying money, all the – you know, the teachers union, the special interest, the healthcare cartel, it makes it all moot. Is there any way we could achieve that? Yeah. And you're not going to do it legislatively. Um, you achieve it the way that Idaho did. Um, and that's why your state parties are so important. Um, so, you know, under, uh, under a, a string of Supreme court jurisprudence since the 1980s, uh, actually, I think it was even earlier, um, held that uh, parties, political parties, are private entities. They have the right to free association. They have the right to uh, choose the manner in which they pick their leaders um, and their elected representatives. Uh, You saw this in Idaho, where they had open primaries uh, uh, 10 years ago. And then I think it was around 2015, the state party changed and altered their rules to institute closed primaries, which is in conflict yep. with the uh, statute uh, mandating open primaries. They took it to federal court and a federal judge in Idaho said, no, the party has the right to free association. They can choose the way that they choose uh, candidates um, that represent them on the ballot. And therefore, there should be closed primaries. And after getting the court ruling, the legislature changed it to be in accordance with the party rules and they have closed primaries in Idaho. Um, you could presumably do that with a convention as well, or states like Tennessee, states like Alabama, the party has the ability to deny ballot access to candidates that they yes. don't believe represent them. And in reality, your, your party is the brand, right? Your party should not, it, 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 I don't know how we evolved into this area, like the RNC, where you're, the party's just some irritating entity that sends you, you know, fundraising solicitations every, every other day. Uh, but uh, it's like the cheerleader for elected officials. Now, your party is your brand, right? Yeah. And your party is the people who are in your party, the party activists, the Republicans um, that, that choose who goes on the ballot. 
And we have to get away from this. The party needs to take a more active role in protecting its brand. And it does that by choosing how we elect our candidates who represent us. So that is something I'm very surprised by this. So you are saying, is this a fight you're willing to pick and say the party at your convention might be willing to adopt an, an election down the road to start with a, a some sort of modified convention system? I mean, I'm willing. Ultimately, what I do as chairman is I am the will of the party delegates, right? Mm-hmm. So that's a fight they want to pick. I'll, I'll be their spokesman, certainly. That because because to me, of all the force multiplying ideas out there, and there aren't many of them, I can't think of a better idea because history has shown. Um, people don't realize even someone as much of an 800 pound gorilla as Romney, Mitt Romney, the name ID, presidential candidate, all the money in Utah. Little known fact, he actually lost the Utah convention to a little known person in the legislature. Um, unfortunately, by then they had already gutted the rules, so you know he could just petition to bypass it and and get a primary. And that's how he got Mike Lee originally. Again, you know he defeated an incumbent. This notion that somehow you can knock off incumbents, it doesn't work. It just doesn't work. And I, I'd, I'd be remiss if I didn't get your take on, I mean, I hear a lot of different opinions on this. So you had Don Huffines and, um, you know, the former chairman, Alan West, run against Greg Abbott. And and there were some private polls I saw that seemed to indicate it was roughly, give or take, close to that 50% runoff margin. But then, man, he won by like 66% or so. And these are people that actually had some name idea or money and ran a substantial campaign on like, you know, typical primary challengers. What's up with that? Um, you know, what, what's up with that is what you have is you, you have a, an open primary in Texas where anybody can come in and vote. Um, so your 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 strongest party faithful uh, are, are 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 not the ones necessarily controlling the result. Now with the gubernatorial race, that was a little different. Some stuff played out, you know, in terms of of how that race went. And I think, you know, Governor Abbott ran a, ran a decent campaign, of course. Yeah. Um, Especially and, with and the Democrat overperformed. president. Yeah. I, I, I mean, absolutely. I mean, when, when you talk to people that they're, who don't follow politics every day, like we do, I mean, their impression is, you know, Greg Abbott's like, you know, strong, second, Standing maybe the wrong Biden's the problem. Throw out yeah. the Democrats, just vote for the first Republican, yeah. you know, yep. So, so I don't know if that's a good example, but I, I, I know a lot of these, for example, rural races or other races where the party faithful are censuring their state representative, and then they go into a, a, a party primary in a ninety in like a I don't know, seventy percent Republican area, and the thirty percent Democrats know that they have to cross over in order to have a say in who, who yep. represents them, and they vote for the the milk toast Republican, and that's how all of these leftists get on city councils, get on school boards. Um, and we as a party have been trying to change that by turning school board races into partisan races with, mm. with some success. Um, but th- I mean, that's what happens. You have in an open primary, this crossover vote. Um, it's like second, it's second in, it, it, it's second in terribleness to uh, ranked choice voting. I mean, but, but pretty close. But, but this is what I'm trying to figure out. And I'm, I'm not to put you, you know, in a corner here, but I'm mm-hmm. I'm trying to figure it out because there's a couple of states now, a number of them, much more so than in the past, that have really good party chairmen, party leaders, party delegates. Um, 
and the party officials uh, have gotten better. There's no question. But yet it's not translating into the elected officials. And even at a relatively lower level, certainly much less when you get to Senate and governor and, and that, so, so what do you think you can do in your, you know, in, in, in this tenure to try to, you know, take that energy that I look at the Texas GOP convention, I'm like, man, I couldn't have done a, I mean, I couldn't be more hardcore myself. Like these are my guys. <laughs> and then, and then like, like you said, you, you only had six votes against feeling in the private caucus. And then that we're talking about state house, forget about Congress and Senate and governor. What, how do we change that? You know, one, one of the things we're going to do in the short term is be act an active voice during the session. Uh, and, you know, the lieutenant governor has a pretty bold agenda. He's going to be forwarding this session. We're going to be supporting him uh, as, as he sends it over to the House and the House tries to kill it. Um, but uh, but we're, we're going we're gonna to be very active like we did. I'll give you an example with the no Democrat chairs uh, fight that we had for your listeners that don't know. Texas is one of the I think it's the only state in the country that where Republicans voluntarily share <laughs> leadership with Democrats. Forty percent of, of House committee chairs are Democrat, and it does not need to be that way. Uh, may have made sense 20 years ago, but not when, you know, Democrats are in favor of transing your kid and, uh, yeah. and opening the border. Um, and, and it's not like and they're going to offer Dan that Patrick, power to Republicans in California or, or New York. Yeah. Yeah. Or if they take over in Texas anytime, I'm sure they're going to give it to people who they call racists and Nazis. Um, Dan Patrick, actually, I was in the Senate, too, and Dan Patrick pretty much ended the practice. Um, I, th- I think he had one Democrat chair wasn't crazy last year. Um, but still 40% in the house. So there was a vote on it last week, uh, that, that was, uh, or there was a, a, not a vote. There was a house rules amendment proposed by Brian Slayton and the speaker had I think, so many people who were going to vote for it that he didn't want to embarrass himself. So he, he came up with some really horrible like ruling, which is just absurd on its face with something like, oh, well, this is political because a, a political party's advocating for it. Therefore, it violates the constitutional provision of spending state money on for political matters. Like, okay, so you, so you can't pass anything that a political party advocates for now? Just completely absurd. Um, so what we're doing now is he can still appoint Republicans to all of the committee chairmanship positions because that doesn't happen for 30 days. So we're running radio ads in this district. We're bringing to light what he's doing and asking people in his district to vote for him to call him and appoint Democrat and appoint a Republican committee chairs only. So we're going to be doing that during session on many issues on our top priorities. We're going to be advocating for them and supporting the conservatives who support our priorities and making sure they can get through to the governor's desk. So it's important you're saying the issue is not over with just because they adopted the rules package. So, you know, it allows him to do it, but it doesn't mean he has to follow through and actually appoint them. So you're trying to pressure him. Now, I, I do want to dig into the legislative session a little bit because, you know, in deference to I, I, by far our largest uh, listenership in this show is, is from Texas. It's not even close. So mm-hmm. a lot of people are very concerned. And, and again, this reverberates across the country. I want you to give us a big picture of pitfalls and opportunities to watch for in the session. I'm going to ask you in the prism of what one of our listeners uh, oh. um, asked me about, uh, just just to frame it. The, he said, conservatives beg for conservative scraps from the rhinos' table. Then rhinos give scraps 
and then use them to run as conservatives at election time, and then conservatives celebrate the scraps and keep quiet to acquire more scraps. How do we break that cycle? I, I mean, I think we need, <laughs> I think we do it with, I think we do it with messaging as to what constitutes a, a session that's successful. Um, we can't in this post COVID age be satisfied anymore with a couple you know, a couple, couple victories, and then we wait another two years for the next yeah. legislative Like, effect. you get a religious um, exemption from the Fourth Reich poison that should be banned in the state. You need to raise the bar and go higher. Yes, you need to be constantly fighting back because the Democrats are not using the legislative process to fight back. They're using their, their city governments. They're using administrative agencies. So, I mean, really, you need to be on a total war footing right now with Democrats. And that's post the post 2020 political reality. And if you're not, you're going to lose. Um, So, no, we're not going to be satisfied if we have like, you know, one religious one religious freedom bill or uh, or non-sexualization of kids in school bill uh, that gets passed. And then they, you know, pack it in and say, you know, we were successful. Now, we need. Bills that we we need not only to pass bills on every issue that right now is affecting us, medical freedom, um, sexualization of children in school, the border. I mean, we need to hit everything and we need to do it in a way that matters, because that's another problem is you have these people wanting to declare victory on a particular issue and they pass a bill that has no teeth in it, doesn't do anything. Uh, That's just unacceptable. So. On that issue, um, you have perhaps the best medical freedom advocate in a state legislature in the entire country, Senator Bob Hall, that has been on this from day one, and he's introduced a number of bills that really go through my kind of few dozen bullet points, my wish list on medical freedom that I think every legislature needs to pass. A lot of them are bills from Bob Hall. Is the party going to help? raise the prominence of, of Bob's issues. Cause my concern is that abortion's always top billing and, and the trendy stuff, thankfully has really made it to the forefront. It's taken a while. Um, but you guys are really behind on medical freedom cause you were out last session. So even the few minor things other States did, uh, you, you haven't done cause you weren't there since 2021 when Republicans, I guess were still agreeing with this stuff. So is that going to be a big part of the agenda? Yeah, I mean, I think it needs to be. And you have uh, in the House, uh, Brian Harrison's uh, probably the biggest medical freedom advocate there. So, yeah, we are going to be supporting Brian. We're going to be supporting uh, Senator Hall uh, and trying to get a focus on this. I mean, it's ridiculous. In Texas right now, you have you still have the COVID emergency declared. I think we're one of like, what, eight states or a handful of yep. states that still have a COVID emergency. I think we're, are we the only red state or one or two only red states that are still doing this? We're doing it because the legislature failed last session on this. The Senate passed decent medical freedom legislation to the House, and the House killed it. And not only that, but if you want to look at the House's mentality, look at the rules package these guys passed last week. Okay, we're talking about the Democrat chair amendment that got struck down. They have the ability, they put in the rules, the ability for them to trigger mask mandates again in committee meetings and in the House. What in the- they still believe in masks. They're telling you. <laughs> Republican, uh, wait, uh, even the Democrat legislatures aren't doing this. I mean, this is crazy. And, no. And, and, and this is what a lot of people are complaining about. I get a lot of emails like, you know, so the governor announced, oh, no, no, you're right. No mandates for nothing. 
public, private, that sounds great. And then three seconds later, there's no enforcement. And everyone tells me that whatever, um, you know, earth, earth shattering moment they have in their life that's critical to their career, whether it's medical school, law school, um, healthcare workers for sure, uh, they, they still are under these vaccine and mask mandates mm -hmm. um, in Texas to this very day. I mean, yesterday you, you saw Governor DeSantis' press conference, categorical, permanent, everywhere, including hospitals, no vaccine, no, no mask, done. Do we have something in place to force that fight? Uh, yeah, I mean, we have the, the Texas Senate and people like Senator Hall willing to force that fight, and the party will be there to back them up to make sure that that is in the forefront of, of what people are paying attention to. Um, yeah, and, and in Florida, by the way, also, you have Ron DeSantis's agencies, right, giving guidance to medical profess professionals um, that are in accordance with our beliefs. And this is huge, right? He's not sitting up there just trying to hold up a couple legislative victories. His agencies are acting in a different way than all other states. Yes. Right? Here in Texas, our Department of Health and Human Services is – look at their Twitter account. They're just oh, parroting CDC stuff. <laughs> Why are we doing this? Why are we not coming up with our own guidance so medical professionals who want to <laughs> prescribe off-label drugs or, or counselors who want to counsel against transing the kids – uh, so they have some protection legally. We're not doing that here. We're doing like the minimum. You have hero to, to doctors, that hero doctors that saved lives there that are still being punished by the Texas Medical Board uh, for not wearing a mask, for other things. I mean, I, this is so, – so let me tie this all together, and especially because you served in both chambers, and I think you have a good institution. knowledge. I just knowledge. served in the House. I'm sorry? I served in the house. Oh, you served in the house. Okay, I thought house. you served in. So, but but you, yeah. you served in the house. That's I mean, so you have a working knowledge of legislatures, and this is the big question that's really really bothering me. Now, legislatures aren't perfect. We have, as we we're talking about, a lot of problems in them, but it's our only avenue of redress because everything that is done now is done through the agencies. And like you mentioned, except for Florida, every red state Department of Health, Department of Education, this may as well be California. Right. They, they are they are still, you know, this mm -hmm. is why you have Texas public schools are full of CRT, the training stuff, you know, all of it, um, because the Department of Education agrees with it, even in Texas. And this is the problem. So my my, my question is, a lot of conservatives brag about, yeah, we got a part time legislature. Well, my problem is, how do you have a Fourth Reich executive branch that operates 365 days a year and, yes, legislates unilaterally and does what the heck it wants and has a budget from the federal government that's larger than the budget that the legislature signs off on all year round? And yet these guys meet for three seconds every other year, and then you can only introduce legislation for the first two seconds of that three seconds. Oh, we have a limited government. You can't have an 1890s legislature with a, you know, Leviathan, you know, total state executive branch. How do we fix that? You know, I think we fixed it by, fixed it by the executive becoming more active. Um, you know, the they didn't need a legislative act for the administrative agencies in Florida to completely change the way they give guidance for the surgeon general to be coming out and saying, no, we're not going to give vaccines to five-year-olds. They had a governor willing to appoint the right people in those positions uh, and to uh, flex muscle. I mean, it's it, the administrative branch is the executive branch. 
everything coming out of there is under the control of the governor. Um, and that's what we need to do. I, you talk about having a, a, year, a yearly legislature. I always, I always thought about that. And then when I was in the legislature, every time we came back for like a special session or for some other reason, I always said, oh, this is a bad idea. <laughs> it always, always bad things happened whenever the legislature was working. We were spending more money. We were regulating more. Uh, you had a couple of victories. But overall, I, I, I just thought it was a bad idea. The, I think the executive needs to be taking charge of these administrative agencies uh, in more creative ways to ensure that, um, you know, to, to ensure they're kept in check. But what about oversight? Meaning there, there's one thing that, OK, you know, you don't have to be sitting in Austin, you know, all year. But like you said, when you find these cities doing egregious things, you find these. Uh, you find these agencies like, hey, why is there CRT in this? Why why is the Department of Health uh, promoting death shots? This needs to end. So what I find is, and this is what's frustrating about it, is that everything with legislatures is driven is narrative dr- driven. You need a firestorm. Right. You need the news cycle, and and really that's how all these TikTok videos, the tranny stuff, as I told my audience, it, it it was around for way too long, for a decade, really. And they did nothing about it. It only broke through because some people got very creative and, and really brought this to the forefront. So we often have these inflection moments, but damn it, they're off season. It's like, oh, whoops, we can't deal with it for another year and a half. You know, like, yeah. that's my issue. And, and I agree with you that, you know, the legislature obviously is not great. But increasingly, I'm seeing that it's more that all the bad stuff's coming from the executive and more so than the legislature. It's just the legislature doesn't do anything about it. But I I just feel like you need some sort of redress for the people. Otherwise, it's an oligarchy. Yeah, I mean, in in my in my 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 Matt controls every portion of government like fantasy land, Um, you know, I, I would. If I was the governor, I would call. If if a city gets out of hand, it poses vax mandates. I would call a a, a, a special session, five days, pass a bill, get them out. And then okay, if it happens again, call a special session, limited purpose, drive, drive the narrative, and uh, and and pass some legislation that can fix things. I mean, we should have medical freedom legislation by now. That should have been addressed. If it wasn't a regular session, it should have been a special session. And guess what, guys? Until you pass it. Texas House, you don't want to pass that. Good, you're not going home. So you pass it, because I will keep calling special sessions. That that's what should be be happening right now. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess the issue is when you don't have a governor. I mean, that's the common denominator of this entire discussion, and and that's the thing. Yeah, in Florida, so then yeah, I mean, the legislature is not that great. I don't see any stalwarts there. It's a matter of they they follow the leader, and when you don't have one. Yeah. It's very difficult. Their speaker, their speaker is is is, is pretty bad too. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean it's it's and 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 at the beginning, before he was this you know powerful and well regarded when he was new, you know they watered down his E-Verify bill and you know blocked a lot of other things right. as well. So that's what I'm saying. It's not like there was anything uh, substantively that that the activists changed in the legislature. It was it was all the governor, which we just don't have that elsewhere, and it's so sad. Yeah. Um, you know, we're, we're pretty much out of time, but I did just want to broach one more issue with you. Um, mm-hmm. One thing that's heartbreaking about Texas is that 
we seem to be losing the cities and losing and losing and receding and receding. I mean, the city has been gone for a while, but another tranche of suburbs around Dallas and Houston and another tranche and another tranche and into, you know, Tarrant County. And, you know, you look at Florida and you, it's almost like the opposite trend. They're now like reclaiming some of the city governments and, you know, going back in there. How do we stop that bleeding in, in Texas? I think we stopped the bleeding by, by doing what Florida did. And what Florida did in order to start winning in those cities is Republicans got into office and they enacted bold reforms, bold changes um, that affected people's everyday lives. Not, not only you know, people who pay attention to politics, but everybody. Like I went to Florida and I remember going to a restaurant where we had a waitress who had like a, one of those fake masks where you can like see their face through it. And I, and I asked her like, why are you wearing that? And she goes, oh, our employer, our employer makes us. She goes, she goes, um, and this was, you know, probably a college student had tattoos all over her arms. And she's like, but Ron DeSantis is going to stop that. <laughs> it was like, okay, this does not look like someone really into politics, but Definitely knows that Ron DeSantis is fighting for her at work. Um, You know, that's what we need to do as Republicans. We can't just be content with like our little Fox News moments. We need to change people's lives by enacting our policies and showing them they work. And if Republicans get elected and people's lives don't change or they change for the worse, they're not going to be very happy with Republicans. And Republicans have been in control for 20 years in Texas now. We need to show results and people need to know about them. And that's the thing. In in Florida, DeSantis is trying to crush the power structure of the Democrats. Uh, in Texas, they want to share it with them. Well, that's that's what you get. You share it with them. Um, then they have the ability to continue expanding into the suburbs and doing what they're doing. Um, look, we I, I wish we could continue this forever. This is a really very engaging conversation. Um, how could people get more involved in the party that you think, if they're in Texas, that they can make a difference? You go to texasgop.org, um, sign up for our email list. Um, you know, we, we, we try to get funded by the grassroots or so join the grassroots club, um, you know, so we don't have to rely on corporate donations, donations from office holders. We're going to be more independent. Um, so that's how they can help. And uh, contact your local county party as well and volunteer. Absolutely. Well, you're certainly the dream party. Now we just got to get the elected officials uh, on board, and we got to make Texas, Texas, make state legislatures great again, make red states red again, and create some sort of asylum for freedom in this country. Uh, Matt, thanks for what you do. Thanks for joining us. I'm looking forward to having you back. Thanks. Take care. So, folks, Matt Rinaldi there, Texas GOP chair. I mean, you're, you're never going to get a better state party chair than that. Uh, this guy calls out the homosexual agenda by name, doesn't care, is everything you and I are. And I, I brought him on to demonstrate just you could have someone like that as the party chair, but still, it does you know it still hasn't seeped in yet. I mean, maybe eventually it will, and if we have enough time, and you're starting to see this in Idaho, you're not the committee chair uh, Dorothy Moon is as hardcore as they get. Um, the party's great. It, the, the governor's an idiot. I mean, this is the problem. Um, it's, it's taking a long time, and there is this reawakening of people starting to pay attention. But it was this. Decades, decades long apathy and lack of focus on our own areas as the left just gobbled them up, embodied through elected fake Republicans. And it was all the Fox News moments, as he mentioned, the but the Democrats, 
that distracted us, if this would be our focus, I'm telling you, it is so achievable. It really is. This is what we're going to do, taking politics to the next level. Making a difference. Sign up at conaction.network if you want to be part of a team. Texas is a big state. It's going to take a lot. But if you want to help form a strike force team and be a leader, let us know. Um, and, you know, Matt's certainly a voice. He was in the legislature, knows some of these people. Um, I don't have as much faith in Dan Patrick as he does, but the fact that he's close with him is a good thing. And look, if, if Patrick's willing to take up our, our ideas, great. Um, but we can't have this business where the Senate passes it, feeling in the House blocks it, and then, oh, the clock's out. We're done. Now we're at a session for another year and a half. Like, that, that is nonsense, and I'm very adamant about that. That does need to change, because otherwise we literally have no even avenue to force redress. Let me know what you think about this. If you're from Texas, if you're in other states experiencing this, uh, have any insight. This is a group effort, as always. Daniel Horowitz at startmail.com is the email. The Twitter is at RM Conservative. Until tomorrow, God bless you all, and thank you for listening.